You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks, and welcome to Let's Talk episode, episode 32, the show for April 2016. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me, as always, I have a fantastic panel, and because it is a financially sort of month, we have Linda Goucher back with us again. Hi, Linda. Hello, Bart. I am so happy when you agreed to come on to talk about Apple earnings calls, because that way we can be intelligent about the topic. Ah, very good. Thank you. Uh, Also with us, we have Nick Riley again. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Good to be back. I'm afraid I know nothing about money, so... That's all right. There's other stories. Any help at all. (laughs) Ah, There's plenty of other stories. And also, joining us, having raced in the door at the last minute, we also have Chuck Joyner. Thank you very much, Chuck, for making that effort. Hey, it's always always a pleasure, Bart, but does that mean that the rest of us uh, aren't intelligent about money? I know, I'm not. (laughs) Okay. I, I just about managed to make my homework, but I have no idea what those Wall Street people are up to. Remember, my theory is still that they're all idiots. So, And Linda is here to talk me down and talk sense into me. Anyway, before we, we get to that, uh, that discussion, which we will come to in the main stories, um, there was one notable number that caught my eye. Um, the folks over at IDG and the folks over at Gartner uh, both came to very similar conclusions about the size of the PC market. Uh, they have both come to the conclusion that it is in decline, but that Macs are declining more slowly than the market as a whole, which means that Apple's market share is slowly creeping up. Uh, depending on whether you believe IDC or Gartner, you end up with between 7 and 7.5% of the market, which is not bad going, I think. I agree. I think it's awesome. I mean, I'm sure I know Chuck and I'm sure Nick and Bart, you remember the days when we were down to like 1.5%. So I, this I don't is think awesome. I was there at that time, but I remember it being two percent, three percent. So yeah, this is more than double. Yeah, and and it feels good. It feels like it's it's in spite of what the stats feel like. It feels like it's definitely on the rise. You know, if, if okay, if it's if it's growing more slowly or if it's shrinking less fast, I don't I don't know. I mean, that's for the statisticians, but it just does feel like that you still are seeing a lot more Max out there. And not, and we won't even get into the iOS devices. But, but yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times now I walk into, or Bart, I don't know if you have, I doubt that you have Panera Breads over there or Starbucks. But we have Starbucks. See, we have Starbucks. Do you, yeah, you yeah. see glowing Apple laptops everywhere. Yeah, although now with the new 12-inch MacBook, they don't all glow anymore, so it's not as easy to spot them. Well, that's true. Yeah, but, but no, you see an awful lot of them around. Um, and I know I work in a university environment. Uh, well, a university, in fact. And I, I think Macs have been stronger in universities than on average anyway, but there are an awful lot of shiny silver laptops around here. I've seen pictures and footage that show very few PCs when it comes to university classrooms and such. Lots and lots of Macs. Well, I still remember standing up to give a keynote presentation at the, the, the annual conference given by our... So, well, they're called HANET. They're sort of the NREN for Ireland, so the National Research and Education Network. And so it was kind of scary. My first ever big keynote to this, you know, all-Ireland body. And I stood up on stage and there was like a big, massive auditorium. And all I could see shining back in my face were Apple logos. 
<laughs> they were all brightly lit and the whole room was dark and it was just Apple logos shining back at me and I was like, okay, so it's not just me then. Yes, and that's a friendly sight to see. I thought so. It made me feel good. <laughs> and of course, the other thing is that you know, people are not using less computing devices. They're just using less traditional computers. And Apple are doing pretty well for themselves in those other markets, a lot better than 7%. Right. So, yeah, I think it's good for Apple. Anyway, let us move on to the big stories for the month. And the first of which is our catch-up on everything that's going on in what I am calling the encryption wars. Um, so, again, the idea here is just I'll quickly summarize what's happened since last month and then we can talk about any bits of it that we feel are worthy of further discussion. So, since we last met, um, the San Bernardino case has had quite a few developments. So, last time, basically, they had said, yeah, we've gotten in and that's that. Um, but they wouldn't tell anyone any more about it. So, the first thing that happened in April is that the FBI disclosed to sen- to some senators, the Intelligence Committee, how they did it, uh, but not to us, the regular people. Uh, James Comey said that the hack, uh, that the FBI bought the hack, but it can only affect a narrow slice of phones, which appears to be that 5S and newer are not affected. Um, So that sort of strongly implies that the secure element is what's protecting from whatever this hack is that they bought. Um, At a conference in London, uh, FBI Director James Comey said that the FBI paid an awful lot of money for the San Bernardino hack, and his exact quote was, more than I will make in the remainder of this job, which is seven years and four months for sure. Now, Comey's salary is public knowledge, so if you do some mathematics, you can very easily work out that that's about $1.3 million. It would appear that Mr. Comey doesn't know how much he's paid. He think, obviously thinks he makes less money than he does because the FBI, through an anonymous source, later said, well, actually, no, it was less than a million dollars. So I think President Obama can cut his pay and he won't notice. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry, breather. <laughs> <laughs> New reporting from the Washington Post calls into question what we had thought we knew, which was that the security firm Celebrite had hacked this San Bernardino iPhone for the FBI. That Basically, the Washington Post said, no, 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 it was some private security guys. Law enforcement say that they found nothing of value on the iPhone at the center of all of this. And finally, the FBI decided not to tell Apple how they got in, so Apple can't do anything to patch it. That then brings us to the New York case, where last we left the story, a, 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 was he a magistrate judge? He was a fairly low court judge, had ruled yeah, in Apple's... Magistrate, that's the one. So he had ruled in Apple's favour, saying that, no, you cannot use the All Writs Act to do this. And we were waiting to see what the DOJ would do next. Well, we found out that they would proceed with their appeal. And then, just before it came to court, all of a sudden the case magically went away when they said, no, someone gave us the passcode, we're in. Thanks very much, good day. Uh, We're all very worried at the end of last month about a new case that was emerging in Boston. This case was quite different to the others because it was being done behind closed doors. And what we found out early in April is that that case very quickly fizzled into nothing when the FBI sort of won on paper because they judged to order Apple to do exactly what Apple have always done and not to do any more than that. So technically the FBI won, but in actual fact Apple won. Uh, Burr Feinstein, so the two senators who head up the Intelligence Committee, had been working on a uh, a law for a bill. This is not a law until it gets through the whole thing. Uh, for regulating all this encryption stuff. Uh, they released their draft, um, or their proposal. 
Uh, it received descriptions such as ludicrous, dangerous, technically literate, and tech companies have expressed their deep concerns. Uh, the White House decided not to put their weight behind it. They will not be backing this bill. In California, the bill that was making its way through the Californian legislature to ban the sale of all phones that don't have backdoorable encryption has been defeated, so that bill is gone. Uh, Apple and the FBI were hauled back in front of Congress for more testimony. Not really all that much happened in that testimony, except for the fact that Apple were asked straight up, did you give the Chinese your source code? And Apple went, they asked us, we said no. And that is what happened in the encryption wars in April. Whew. So, so what in there catches people's eye or ear? You know, the only thing that um, <laughs> the only thing that listening to you going through all that stuff came to my mind was that you really should have allowed me to say previously in <laughs> Apple versus FBI. <laughs> we could have done a twenty-four intro to it. You know, well, I was thinking Star Trek there, but yeah, it works. It works for twenty-four <laughs> as well. I just feel like the that that. The government, the FBI, whoever you want to put in on that side of the fence, mm. they're they're uh, they are case shopping. They're looking for exactly the right one. They thought they had it, and then it blew up on them. And so now they're just looking for exactly the right thing, and hoping maybe that it won't be Apple that's on the other side of it, even though it, Apple's really the target here. I, and, and I hate to sound paranoid because there's so many people that do it better than I do, but it just seems like that's the case. I, I am deeply suspicious that just before the thing comes to, to court, when a judge could rule against them, all of a sudden the government back off. That's twice now. That, that, that is suspicious to me. I, yeah, I think that's an indicator that they, ha they have revamped their strategy on how to do this. Um, and I do think that there's some support for the uh, Feinstein-Burr bill. Yeah, it, it it has both cross-party support and whatever the opposite of support is. Uh, derision, perhaps. Um, yeah. It seems that it, it's, thankfully, it's not it's not slicing down party lines, so that means that there can actually be some proper debates on it, and everyone isn't just going to vote their party, which is useful. I, I don't Correct. see it passing in an election year, but I don't see it just vanishing into the ether either. There's a, a senator in Oregon whose name at this moment escapes my Ron mind. But, uh, is it that may be who, who is adamantly against that bill yeah, and has yeah. stated, yeah, that he will filibuster to yeah, prevent that its passage. Awfully like Senator Wyden, who has been very outspoken on this topic for many years. Correct. It is Wyden, and then there's there's some representatives too. I do think people in the U.S. Who I mean, this is an election year, and it's not a bad time if you have strong feelings about this to write to uh, either candidates or tweet them, et cetera, et cetera, and give them your views if you are an active voter, which I hope people are. Yeah, and not just for the presidential race, but all the down ticket races, they all matter too. Right. It's the, it's the congressional, the senators and the, and the Congress people that really matter on this one. And as we saw in New York and California, perhaps even your local, um, you know, your state Senate and your state Congress, whatever they call the House in the States. Yeah, Assembly. Assembly. Often, at least here. Yeah. Okay. And any other thoughts on this? I, I guess in one way, it's although it sounded like a long list, it was less dramatic than the March news. It just seems... Because 
very complex to me. <laughs> it just <laughs> it seems to have fragmented into lots of little bits rather than being a a main story. Now it it just seems to be lots and lots of little bits. Um, it's it's like the FBI have gone to just chipping away rather than trying to break the doors down. That's an interesting way to look at it, Nick. And you're right. It 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 almost feels like they're trying to attack it on on a smaller scale from multiple different angles, as opposed to you know, like you said, break the door down. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just I, I I hope that because of that we don't all stop paying attention to it, and that we were, the same level of diligence and and vigilance is. Uh, is exercised so that they don't get that crack in and start to chip away in that and then eventually get a crowbar in and pry something open they shouldn't. Yeah. I think they're also concerned now about the specific arguments that uh, uh, Apple has offered. Um, and I and they're concerned about it, and at the same time they now know what those arguments are, so they're going to have to find a way to get around that if they're going to be successful in any court in the U.S., well, even also, I guess the arguments in in the the other branches of government, because the fact that the White House have chosen to stay out of Burr Feinstein is revealing, because it shows that it's not the government against the tech industry. It's certainly James Comey and the FBI are very much on for a fight, and also Loretta Lynch and the DOJ, but not necessarily the whole government, because a lot of former CIA directors have been very vocal in their opposition to the concept of weakening encryption. Right. And the senator from North Carolina who changed his mind on the issue did so by quoting the intelligence community of the United States. So that's a governmental uh, body uh-huh. as well. Yeah, actually, that was that was very powerful. Uh, that was Senator Lindsey Graham, I believe, or Graham. I'm not sure how he pronounces his name. Correct. Graham. Although he says it with a southern accent. Graham. <laughs> Graham. <laughs> Wait, would you do that again? That that's an Irish accent doing a southern accent. That's... Yeah, I should probably not do accents. I think I think that's the lesson to take away from here. <laughs> I certainly don't want to make fun of him in any way, shape, or form. Hats off to him for, for taking the right view, you know? It takes it takes a lot for a human to change their mind. It takes an awful lot for a politician to do so publicly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, indeed. Credit to him. Any other thoughts on this ongoing saga? I, I, somehow, I don't think it will solve it today. Agreed. No. I, th- I think we're done on that, yeah. And somehow, I, we may get away... Well, unless something dramatic happens, maybe we'll get away without talking about this next month, but maybe not. So, <laughs> let's, let's uh, address the large pachyderm in the corner of the room here. It is a, one of those months where Apple have earnings calls... It was the Q2 2016 earning call, and the numbers, while big, were not correctly directioned. So I'm just going to run through the numbers, and then we can talk about what it means. So revenue was $50.6 billion, which is down 13% from $58 billion a year ago. Net income, $10.5 billion, or $1.9 per diluted share, which is down from 13.6 or 2.33 per diluted share. Gross margins, 14, sorry, 39.4% down from 40.8. Unit sales, iPhone, 51.8 million, down 16%. iPad, 10.3 million, down 19%. Mac, 4 million, down 12%. Uh, 
none of those numbers are small, of course, but they are all down. Uh, international sales accounted for 67% of revenue. There was $50 billion added to the investor return program, which means more share buybacks and a higher dividend to be paid, which will be... 0.5, sorry, $0.57 cent or $0.57 per share, which is an increase of 10%. And the guidance for Q3 is a revenue of between $41 and $43 billion and gross margins between 375 and 38%. And then the other fact we learned is that Apple Music now has 13 million subscribers, which is 2 million more than they had three months ago when they last told us a number. So, Linda... What should we make of this? Um, let me let me say first of all that there are some industry analysts, as opposed to the sell side analysts. There mm-hmm. are some industry analysts who are pointing out, uh, and as did Apple in the conference call, that the trend of of iPhone sales, because that's what most people focus on, hmm. that trend is is pretty much still in place. What the anomaly is the iPhone 6. The iPhone 6 sold so well, it jumped up so strongly. And so this is what they mean when they're talking about that this quarter was, quote, a tough compare, meaning it's tough to compare this quarter with the same quarter last year. Do I remember Uh, correctly that the the increase last year for this quarter was up 85% or something ridiculous for iPhone numbers? That was in China. Ah, Uh, um, yeah, that was it was 85 or 88. I can't remember now which of the two, but uh, that was in China. And so when China comes down, and, but that's a good a good point to illustrate because the same quarter last year, the, um, the revenue, et cetera, increased by 80 X percent in China. This year it was down and I'm, my best memory is roughly 13 percent or something like that. So. If you look at that, if you deduct the 13 from the 88, it may not be that bad. So, you know, it looks it looks much better. You you get what a strong quarter the iPhone 6 provided. And we are up from where we were two years ago, correct? Correct. My understanding is, yeah, this, the 5S. And that's one of the things that Tim Cook and uh, Luca were doing on the conference call is they were comparing. They saying when you look back at the 5S – we're in line because the S year typically uh, doesn't get as high a numbers as the six or the seven or the whatever number we're on. Yeah. So, so that's one piece. Go ahead. I have some points to make, but I want to make sure you, your questions are answered first. Well, I think that's the big, I mean, you know, I think that's important to put that context on it. And I guess the other piece of context is after 13 years of always having the revenue go up, you kind of can't do that forever. Right. Right. Um, One of the difficulties with that specifically is that Wall Street is always looking for growth. And the, 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 the fact of the matter is Apple stopped growing this quarter. Okay, so that's so that is a fact. And the question is, what's going to happen going forward? One of the debates, uh, or at least points of discussion, is whether or not the smartphone market itself has uh, is quote full, you know whether or not uh, the market itself will continue to grow. And Tim Cook seems to indicate on the call. I went back through some mm. of the notes. And, um, he seems to indicate that he sees it still growing, but a number of people are calling it saturated. 
and it's not I have not seen anything that really explains what exactly they're looking at on either side. But I do know that in developed markets, so Europe, the U.S., um, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to emerging markets like Brazil and China and um, a number of others, um, the, the, the market, we've got 40 percent, somewhere between 60 and 80 percent I saw quoted. People already have smartphones who want them. So it, the, the fertile ground moving forward is not as great as it has been. So that's a point that upsets people. I, I, it may have been when he was on Hard Money or Mad Money or whatever, whatever that show is on MSNBC, on CNBC. It's mad Money, <laughs> mad it's Money, mad whatever. Money. <laughs> uh, I guess that's probably a good description. Um, I, th- I think he was making a point that Apple are getting an awful lot of switchers, which means that even if the market as a whole doesn't grow, there's still plenty of room for Apple to grow if they keep attracting switchers. Correct, correct, and that he made that point also on the conference call. So both places, they're pushing that strong. Yeah. Um, It's unknown. You just don't know what's going to happen here. Another thing, and and again on the conference call, they mentioned what they call macroeconomic headwinds. And what that means is that, I mean, an example of that is is that the economy itself, in China in particular, the growth rate has slowed from where it was. It used to be, I think, around 12 or something like that, and it's now projected this year to be 7%. So if, if the market, if people, as many people, pardon me, are not coming into the cities and having money that they can spend, then there's not enough people who can afford, or at least a smaller number of people who can afford an Apple phone, an Apple product. So, and that's, I mean, there's also problems you probably know in Europe and this, and the United States is not growing at a very high rate when you look at it historically. So those macroeconomics are a thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so so I, I, I understand to some degree where the market, generally speaking, is coming from. Um, and it's all TBD. We're all predicting the future here. So you don't know. Um, at the same time, and this is my own personal opinion, and I am an Apple shareholder, I feel very strongly that this company is way undervalued, way undervalued. And it's it's interesting to, for me, it's an interesting problem to try to puzzle out why that is. Um, and I don't have a satisfactory answer. And you you were saying that before all of this went down. So if it was undervalued before, well, what is it now? Right, right. Well, the P.E. ratio hasn't gone down, I don't think, that much. Uh, and that's what I look at, and that's price price to earnings ratio, which if you don't understand that and aren't interested, you can look it up if you're interested. Okay, so um, by the earnings coming down, the PE also comes down, obviously. Well, it depends on the share price because it's price to earnings, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so there's, yeah. Uh, So I'm not, I don't think it is, I think it's about the same. Chuck, do you know? Do you follow that? I don't follow it as closely as as you do, Linda. So I I don't want to comment on, on that aspect of it. Okay, I think it's a it's not that much lower, probably because the share price has gone down as well. So, I, I do so. also want to, to, to throw in my little bugaboo about all of this—the thing that makes me so cranky every time. So there were headlines everywhere: Apple misses earnings. No, they didn't. <laughs> Apple projected what they would earn, and they earned what they projected. So that's like saying weather misses forecast. 
No, forecasters missed weather. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to say that because it makes me so cranky. No one else gets right. to do this in any branch of anything. Where I make a prediction, reality fails to agree with my prediction, therefore reality is wrong. Right. And, and, and I won't say a whole lot about this, but the reason that they do it that way is because investors have, have bought stock based on those projections. Um, and nobody can predict the future perfectly. Yeah, certainly not economists, <laughs> or, nor, nor anybody else. Yeah, so. it, it's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it, that that everything was down. I mean, ha- hasn't the Mac been growing for quite a long time as well? Well, its mar- its share of the market is growing, but the whole PC market is shrinking. So their growing share of a shrinking market is not growing fast enough not to shrink. I, I think, yeah. though, that Nick may be right that the numbers in past quarters, the year-over-year the year comparisons, have been that um, the Mac had been going up. I may be mistaken about that. I didn't look it up. I know they were up a little bit the last few. Like, not yeah. 10%, like, you know, 2%, 5% sort of size, if memory serves. So they right. were yeah. just about that managing about to grow. Which was astounding because the market has been the PC market has been shrinking for quite a few years now. For, so for Apple to have managed any growth in there is always good. Now down twelve percent isn't particularly happy, happy, joy, joy. No. But at the same time, like none of these numbers are small. Fifty point six billion dollars of revenue. You can fit quite a few Microsofts into that. Yes. A net yes. income of ten point five billion. That's a small country. Right. And to still be getting margins in the high 30s on a bad quarter, a lot of companies would love to have margins in the high 30s. And True, but as uh, it's, it's like Linda said, though, isn't it? It depends on what happens now. It, it does, but a, a lot of the, the show notes have quite a few links to people who've been graphing out what Apple have been doing over the last 13 years. And what you see is a graph that has gone up a very, 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 very long way and is now a teeny tiny, almost invisible kink at the top of the tail. Yeah, it's not the, the, exactly a trend. No, like, and <laughs> over 50 million of anything. If you sell over 50 million rolls of toilet paper, you're doing well, let alone over 50 million iPhones. And I think, you know, I, I think this is what bothers so, so many of us, that we have a blip. Uh, a, see, I even hate to characterize it that way. But you have something that, that doesn't set a new record, and, and then all of a sudden the sky is falling. You know, never mind how many billion you sold of this or how many billion you made of that. It's it's the sky is falling, and that's the part that, when when I see the share prices prices take a hit, and I and I hear what you're saying, Linda, and I know how the game works. You know, it's all based on prognostication, and prognostication is just that. You know, it's 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 a theoretically intelligent guess, but you you look at the the evidence to the contrary with no trending, no anything, and well. You know, we all we all love the doomed articles, you know, and this this is nowhere near. They've got a battleship financial statement. I mean, they've got Bart to to borrow your phrase. You know, they've got more money than some small countries in cash. Right. So you know, it it just that's why I guess I get almost disgusted with all of us paying it to so much attention to to the sky is falling theories. Yeah, and remember, their net income is ten billion. So it's not like they made a loss. And that they're now having to dig into this spectacular cash hoard they have. The, the cash hoard got bigger by $10 billion. Right. 
Exactly. Uh, actually, I, I was. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, thanks. I was so. Uh, I've been so worried about them actually that I, I've had to go out and. <laughs> I've had to go out and buy an iPhone. So, oh no! <laughs> Actually, you've been a long time Android user. Did you seriously buy an iPhone? Uh, yes. Not because of these earnings calls, though. Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I, I, I bought a, a second-hand one, which was actually good value. So, um, a, a six. I bought a six, not a very latest. I'm very happy with it. So you were used to the bigger screen already because you were in Android land. Yeah, so I've gone to a slightly smaller screen, but actually, I mean, it's, I don't know whether this is the right point to talk about it, but just oh, we can quickly. take a break. We'll, we'll go back to the <laughs> financial stuff in a minute, because there is plenty more to talk about, but yeah, no, let, let's give us an interlude. Okay, what I find quite interesting is that um, during the time that I've owned the Android, I've obviously made compromises that I wasn't even aware that I would, I'd made, Oh, um, and now I've come back to Apple Stuff just well. To say, <laughs> say those words again, it just works. Um, and some stuff that just failed to work properly on my Android does work on the iPhone. Th- things like um, I use Three's uh, Wi-Fi calling. Hmm. Um, I tried it on the an- on my uh, Android, and not only did it keep saying you had to re-authenticate it for no real reason. Um, but the call quality was dreadful. Um, but it works fine on the iPhone. <laughs> Good. So, so there you go. And there's one, a few other things as well I've noticed that I just prefer the way Apple do it, in all honesty. I but always find it's a more cohesive whole. When Apple Pardon? It. It's a more cohesive whole. It just it hangs together nicer. It's more consistent, is my, is my feeling on the thing. Yeah, yes, I think so. So, yes, I'm glad to be back in Apple land. That's good. Okay. Um, something Apple put a lot of stress on in this earnings call was their services market. Now, I didn't I, – there's no numbers from last quarter to compare to, or at least there weren't on the data sheet Apple provided in their press release. So I can't really say whether their services are up, and, or, up or down. They're, they are, and they are significant but I can't really say any more than that. But Apple seemed to be stressing that there is now another leg on the stool and we shouldn't think only in terms of iPhones, iPads and Macs. We should also think in terms of iPhones, iPads, Macs and services. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I, they mentioned it on the last quarter's uh, uh, call as well. They, that's the first time I remember uh, them saying anything about it, but they're definitely putting a lot of emphasis on it. Um yeah, and so we'll we'll see how that goes. That that could be an additional leg on the stool, as you say. So, okay. Um, what else did I have in there? So the show notes has some stuff people would be interested in, including a whole bunch of graphs. So uh, Six Colors did some lovely graphs, actually, of all of these numbers. So I, I find it easier to look at these things in pictures. So that link is in the show notes. Uh, there is also a transcript of Tim Cook's contributions to the call over at iMore, uh, under the lovely heading, Hi, this is Tim. Uh, and then there's also a transcript of the Tim Cook interview with uh, on Mad Money with Jim Cramer. Um, that, because it's a transcript of a, of, a, um, of a sort of a to and fro, it actually reads really awkwardly. But it is interesting all the same, because they interrupt each other, which is really hard to read in transcript form. Um 
Also, an interesting idea over at iMore is what what happens if you take the iPhone out of Apple? Are you left with, you know, what does the company look like without an iPhone? And the answer is a pretty stable company, actually. Obviously smaller, but not in spectacular decline or anything, which is interesting. Mm. Okay. So Can I no, toss in a couple more things? Okay. I wanted to go back to Chuck's comment and well actually he wasn't the only one, but you Chuck and, and Bart, I think you also mentioned the doom and gloom articles. Um, the two things about that. The first is is that the market as a whole works on fear and greed. And they do they jump all around the place. They you know, here and there and here and there and and from one to the other and So a stock the, is superb or terrible. It's never okay. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's the market generally. It's like I sent you that quote about the dog on the leash. Yeah, the oh, please. Actually, do, do you want to tell the listeners that? Because I think it's fabulous. Oh, I don't have it in no, front of me. I, do you I, have it? I have I could my find email it. client. Therefore, I can. I can, okay. assuming mail that out feels like searching properly. So let's try. Okay. All right. <laughs> the, yeah, it is It is quite good. And it's. it tells you exactly what the market is doing. In the meantime, well, let me know when you get that. I, I just want to mention that Got some it. of the doom. Okay, I'll, I'll hush then. You go ahead. Okay, now I'm terrible at reading out loud, but I'm going to give this a go. So this is a description of the stock market. Where did you, from, attributed to William Bernstein. So so he likens the market to an excitable dog on a very long leash in New York City, darting around randomly in every direction. The dog's owner is walking from Columbus Circle through Central Park to Metropolitan Museum. At any one point, there is no predicting which way the pooch will lurch. But in the long run, you know he's heading northeast at an average speed of three miles per hour. What is astonishing is that almost all the market players, big and small, seem to have their eye on the dog and not the owner. Right. So so the market, the day-to-day movements don't pay any attention to them. They don't make a lot of sense. Over the longer term, that's what makes sense. And so if you go back to the longer term, the curve being that iPhone shipments continue to go up over time, and this particular one is an aberration. This is the dog darting in an odd direction. So, or actually, um, it's the last year's dog went in a funny direction, and this year's dog is catching up to the average. There you go. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. the The other thing I'll say about the doom and gloom. Well, two other things about the doom and gloom articles. A lot of them are clickbait, and I think also that the market reaction itself. And, and the doom and gloom articles are things that we, as, a, as the Mac community, the Apple community, should not take personally because the market will react oddly on any other number of stocks. Um, so the market does strange things. Don't take it personally. I, I would ignore what's clickbait. If somebody says doom and gloom, I look at who the author is. If there's somebody who I respect, that then I want to look at what is it that they're saying. Uh, but a lot of these people are just, you know, they've, they've been Apple bashers for forever and they take the opportunity. So, yeah, who cares? And if that's your shtick, well, this is a good opportunity to get it out, you know, to have, to have some fun. Exactly. But yeah. the thing, too, I guess I, I take this as an educational opportunity because we all follow Apple and its its gyrations pretty closely. And and you look at how upset we get over this because we know, or at least we pretend to know something about this, um, or think we know something about this. And then you think about all the things that get pushed to you in the morning news or in the evening paper or whatever that you don't know as much about. 
And I think there's an opportunity here to understand that, I, I, Linda, I think you said uh, gr- fear and greed. I'm not sure if it's not greed and fear. I don't know which one comes first but or, or whether they're neck and neck. But I, I just – I think that we, we all need to look through – look at just about everything through this lens. Maybe it would make us a little bit more tolerant of what they say about Apple and make us a little more suspicious of what they say about so many other things. Well, or, is yeah. it, or am I just being paranoid? No. No, it's a great point. Something I've discovered is every time that the, the the media strays into my magisterium in some way, something that I know a lot about, I am astounded by how stupid they are and how they completely miss the point. And then I take them seriously on other stuff. And then I find myself going, oh, sugar. Now I'm as ignorant as, as they are on what I know about. So it's it depresses me much. You know, it it, it's, um, it has some parallels. So I think I've said before that as a job, I'm a capacity analyst um, for an IT company. And um, it's, it's a little bit like the parallels between um, myself and the technical teams. The technical teams are most interested in what's happening now. Mm. Uh, and if we send them information to say, we're concerned about this, they'll say, there's plenty of space on that. What are you worried about? It's fine now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll be saying, yeah, but if you look at the trend, then, then we're worried about it. And this is a, a, little, a little bit like this, but in reverse. We've, we've had a, a, little, a little mark, and the technical teams are saying, oh, oh. we're a bit worried about that mark because it, it's, it's, it's moved. Look, at it's gone down. Whereas the, the long-term people were saying, yeah, but you can't tell anything from that. Yeah. Yeah, you zoom out and then you'll see it's a bit less dramatic than you thought. Yes. Yep. Okay, anyone have any other thoughts to throw in on the earnings call? I'll take that as a no. Thank you very much for a good discussion on that, though. That was. Uh, I'm actually getting to the stage which maybe, maybe it's perverse, but I'm enjoying these conversations about earnings calls, which is not something I said in the previous 10 years of podcasting. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Um, okay, so the next thing that caught my eye that I thought was worth talking about is that Apple updated the 12-inch MacBook and the world seemed to collectively lose its mind because it was apparently the wrong update or something. Um, I am an unabashed and unashamed adorer of this computer. This is my main computing device these days, the little 12-inch MacBook. Um, I went for a space grey one because I don't want it bright gold and certainly not pink. Um <laughs> But to me, this is a magical little device, and the update they made to it was entirely sane and sensible. It's a one-year-old device. It was never going to get a full makeover. It it was a full makeover. It still is a full makeover. Uh, So what they did was they basically put the latest and greatest from Intel inside of it and left all the rest unchanged. And they... they, So basically, they just gave it the typical little bit of a bump, and everyone is cranky because, well, they didn't change it completely. Yeah. What are you expecting? So, anyone have any thoughts on this that is perhaps a bit less biased than me? I'll jump in. I I think the people who are upset about it are looking for a different machine. They're they're looking for a MacBook Pro. They're not happy because they didn't make the MacBook into a MacBook Pro is how it seems to me. Yeah, that's my thinking exactly. It's like, there is a laptop for you. It's over there. Go away. Leave my Mac. Leave the laptop I love alone. It's perfect. Well, it's not perfect, but it's bloody good. 
you yeah, know, I'm, so- I, I think you you read my mind exactly too, Linda. I, 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 if you could if you could design the ideal machine, whether it's a desktop or and and you see this with the Mac Pro too, it, there's always something that's going to be just not quite what you want. It might be what Bart wants or what Nick wants, but it's not you, – you either just don't need it and you don't want to pay for it or it's taking up space or it's adding that you know, 0.2 ounces or whatever. And, and so I, I think this was a, a fine update for what it is, but it's, it's not supposed to be a Mac, MacBook Pro. Now, once the MacBook Pro comes out, then we have something to, to compare it to and then maybe there will be a little more to discuss. Yeah, I, I, my guess for the next MacBook Pro is it'll be very similar to this MacBook, but the difference will be that there'll be more than one USB-C port, and it will be like Dell are doing now. It'll be Thunderbolt over USB-C. At which point, mm. everyone is going to need dongles for a while, but I don't think it'll be the end of the world, some people fear, because um, a lot of my colleagues have Dell XPSs, which are a little bit thicker, and a little bit heavier than the, the, the teeny tiny little 12-inch MacBook. But they also, what they get for that extra thickness is a slightly longer battery life and more ports and it's Thunderbolt and USB 3, sorry, and USB-C, well, no, Thunderbolt and USB 3 combined in a USB-C port, which is very hard to say. Yeah. That seems to me like what a MacBook Pro of the future would need. Zooming out from this particular computer, mm-hmm. um, it struck. It, a thought occurred to me um, when I was out on one of my lunchtime rambles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, do, you, do we think that Apple, as a whole, is a bit obsessive? <laughs> and the yes. reason I say that, and the reason I say that is, when you look at what they've done over the last well, since the iPhone, really, for for almost everything that they make, it's almost like they're completely obsessed, A, by thinness. So we've got to get it thin. It's got to be thinner. It's got to be thinner still. Um, by speed, because when, often when you see those figures go up during their keynotes, you know, and, and it's, oh, it's six times faster than this, and it's 237 times graphically faster, and uh, and... And the last one is, is ports, because we, we we now seem to be going. Uh, who needs ports? Well, let's face it. Let's we only need one port, or maybe half a port. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's just something that struck me. I, I might I might be talking rubbish. But... No, you're not talking rubbish because it, I mean the trend is clear, right? Um, but what I would say is I think there's reason in their madness. Well, even if you don't call it madness, there's reason in their obsessions because. I'm now at a stage where I plug very little into very little else. I do almost everything wirelessly now. And you know something? It's a relief. Now, not everything, everything, because this microphone you're hearing my voice through now is plugged into my laptop. But that's, you know, it's kind of the only thing I plug in on a regular basis. My iPhone never goes plugged into anything anymore apart from power. Um, my iPad has never had anything but power plugged into it. My MacBook, you know, my 12-inch MacBook... Yeah, it has one port. It's called the power port. And every now and then I use Apple's little dongle to connect it up to a projector. But that's kind of it. And if there was an Apple TV in the room, I would never use that either. So I'm I'm on board with just get rid of ports. But not on the Pro machines. And I have no doubt that they make beautiful pieces of kit. I mean, they obviously do. Um, 
But for instance, when I bought my iPhone, mm-hmm. um, I thought, gosh, this is thin. Because <laughs> in comparison to what I've had before, it really was. Um, and, and what I've actually ended up doing is buying a um, a battery case for <laughs> it, which makes it quite a lot thicker, which I actually quite like. Well, bear in mind, the iPhone 6 is made of a particular brand of aluminium that is somehow descended from soap. <laughs> Everyone says it's slippery, and everyone told I, I have a 6S, and everyone keeps telling me, oh, it's very slippy, and it's like, no, no, that's the 6. Whatever they did to the 6S, it's not made of soap. It, it's fine in your hand, but the 6 is made of soap. So it's probably good you have a case on it. Uh, the, the lightness thing, though, and the thinness thing, that little 12-inch MacBook is fundamentally different to another laptop because I can pick it up by two fingers and just walk away with it as if it was an iPad. It actually weighs like an iPad, and you use it like an iPad. It's, you don't feel like you're lugging a laptop from room to room. You just pick it up like you would a, 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 a notebook, like a piece of paper that you would take to a meeting. Like it, that obsession to thinness and lightness has resulted in a different kind of laptop from that 12-inch MacBook. And it's a difference that works really well for me because we're... In our work environment, we have a communal space where our desks are, but we have unbookable spaces next to it where we should go to have conversations so not to disturb our colleagues. So we are forever getting up and moving, getting up and moving, getting up and moving, getting up and moving. And I would hate to do that with a laptop from three years ago. But it's just not an issue with this teeny, teeny, tiny little 12-inch. And the Dell XPSs my colleagues are using, it's like, well, it's only another... 50% 50% heavier. It's like, yeah, that matters. It, it does matter. So I, I don't think Apple are wrong in their obsession with these things. But I may be in a minority. <laughs> I, I, the, the only thing that... I think the obsession is great. As long as it doesn't... It's sort of like some of the design choices that have been made. As long as it doesn't come at the um, at the cost of usefulness or or practicality or productivity and mm-hmm. and i my my best example is you know yes johnny ive came out with these beautiful thin fonts for the iphone which just i mean no question from a from a design standpoint they're gorgeous from a practicality standpoint not so much and that's the only thing when we start talking about just getting it thinner and thinner and thinner. Now, the battery life on this is great. You know, for the, on, on the new MacBooks, uh, reportedly is great. I don't have one, so you I can't know, testify. It, like, the, one of the reasons that I think this whole thing about the, the port being, oh, but you can't charge and plug stuff in at the same time. Yeah, you won't be charging until you're asleep. Like, yeah, it, and, it, and it's that's, an all-day device. Yeah. But well, that yeah, we're about to go off on an Apple Watch discussion. I'll stop. Um, but you know, I, I just I, I, if you get a good solid day out of it or more, that's that's fantastic. But don't keep thinning it down to the point that okay, now I have to worry about the charge. I mean, you've done a fantastic job of optimizing the battery, so it, be satisfied with that. I really don't need a MacBook that is as thin as a piece of paper. You know, I'm 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 happy to have something that's a little closer to a spiral bound notebook, um, or or thinner, but something in that range as long as it'll give me what I need. And what I need in this case, or at least for this discussion, is battery life. I think weight is probably more important than thinness from here forward. If, if they could, uh, okay. It, it's there's something about just being able to pick something up with two fingers, just between two fingers, and have it not feel like you're. You know, not have to take two hands and hulk it up. 
but again, it depends on what the device is for because I don't want Apple to focus on the lightness of my 27-inch iMac. As long as it doesn't make my desk collapse, I am fine with it. You know, make the screen more gorgeous, make the CPU faster, make sick more memory into it, great. Don't waste your time making it lighter. The fact that they obsessed over making it thin and the dimension that is literally completely invisible from the angle you use the computer at is dumb. So that's probably an example of what you're getting at, Chuck, of focusing on the wrong thing. I mean, who cares that an iMac that you only ever look on from the front is thinner from the side? I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't have as much problem with that, Bart, as just the idea that some of these compromises are being made at the, at, at the cost of, again, what I will call productivity or usefulness. Maybe that's a better, better term. That's where I get, I can, I can disagree strongly with Apple on, on certain categories. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather, if, if, if you could give me uh, faster speed or something like that in, in a little bit thicker iMac, great. Um, then I'd, li- I'd rather have the thicker iMac. If for some reason you're just looking at this as a work of art, well, then I have no problem with you approaching it that way. Just don't sacrifice any usability for it. Yeah. yeah Chuck, I, uh, I, oh, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, go on, Linda. Uh, um, I, I want to agree with you, Chuck, about your comment about the fonts. Um, at the same time, uh, I agree with you, Nick, about the Apple's obsessiveness, but that's always been there because part of what they're doing is eliminating things that they that they deem are no longer useful or will soon be no longer useful, going all the way back to when they eliminated the floppy drive. That's always been the case. And as you're saying, Bart, that you uh, don't need all the extra ports anymore because you rarely hook anything up. I think they see that as the trend, and that's a lot of the the principle that's underlying the changes. And like this 12-inch MacBook, they keep saying it's the future of laptops. And it's almost true that it's it's probably slightly too far ahead for everyone. It, it's not the device for everyone, but for, for people who are with Apple – in where would they think it's going? It's a fabulous little device. So, but it it is forward looking in that sense. And as long as they continue to make a pro machine for pros, I don't see a problem. Yeah. Uh, we should also say at the same time that they tweaked the twelve inch MacBook, uh, Apple also gave the Apple the the MacBook Air a little bit of TLC, and they bumped the specs on the 13-inch ones to start at eight gigabytes of RAM rather than four, which is a nice little bump. And of course, for people who feel ports are important as well as lightness, there is those MacBook Airs still in the line, which is, I guess, a more old-fashioned approach to a thin computer. Yeah, because even that's quite thin, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite thin. The strange thing it's, is, right? It's not, so, not a bad size computer at all. It's a very weird thing. So my boss has a 13-inch MacBook Air, and her laptop now looks stupidly big next to all of us with her 12-inch Ultra Portables, which is ridiculous. That's an insane thing to say. But that's exactly what it looks like, because you only judge things by what's next to them. And when you put the 12-inch down next to a MacBook Air, the Air does not deserve its name. The Air is now the most misnamed computer ever. Um, I use my thir- – I've got a 13-inch MacBook Air, and I use I use it mostly, in all honesty, for uh, driving our projector down at church. And everyone else uses PCs, which are significantly heavier and clunkier. And, yeah. Uh, so and I, I like the fact that I can just fold up my my little case, and the way it goes, and I don't have to think about it. It's great. 
Yeah, so it is all relative because in, in that universe, that little MacBook Air looks tiny. Yes. <laughs> Anyone else want to chime in there before we move off? Okay. Uh, the next chunk of stories, I couldn't really think of a good name. And technically, this is another one of these collection of little stories, but I think that together they make something we should talk about. Um, so I'm going to list them off and then we can talk about them. So Apple were denied permission to sell refurbished iPhones in India. An Indian court ruled that Apple cannot use the term split view in India due to a trademark violation. The Indian government have, however, or sorry, an Indian government panel has recommended that Apple be exempted from a rule that that they source 30% of their stuff in India in order to be allowed to have a store. So in other words, this is a significant step towards Apple being allowed to run Apple-owned stores in India. What's This government panel, now has their finding has to be approved by the actual government, and then Apple will have their exemption. So that's a positive development, even though it sounds confusing. Uh, the Chinese government shut down iBooks and iTunes movies because they can. It seems like a bureaucratic mess rather than any real reason. Uh, a Chinese court has ruled that Apple don't have any sort of exclusive right to the term iPhone because apparently in 2007, no one could have assumed that Apple would have some sort of claim on that name and therefore they gave someone who makes leather pouches the right to call their leather stuff iPhone because it's China. Uh, and activist investor and Apple critic Carl Icahn has sold his stake in Apple and the reason is because he doesn't trust the capriciousness of governments like the Chinese government. And given that everyone wants Apple to be a growth company in perpetuity, and given that everyone thinks that the future is in the BRIC countries, this all seems important to me. Okay. I agree with you. I think it's important. Um, I'll say that first. And I think that things like India refusing to allow Apple to sell refurbs, that is, um, that's a a roadblock, because if Mm -hmm. they could sell those you know, obviously it would be really good for Apple and Apple's earnings, et cetera. I think it would also be good for India, but evidently India doesn't think so. So, and I do have some comments to make about Carl Icahn, but I want to give other people a chance before I get into it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll dive in. I I just think it's interesting that there there is this, especially with the India thing. I, I don't know. I, I tried to read that as, as India doesn't want to be considered a second class market that they that they don't I, I don't know I mean that was kind of what I took away from it and maybe I missed it completely but what it, I took to, from to it, Chuck, it is that the competition were afraid of the competition so it's basically protectionism well there I, now see that's interesting I didn't I didn't take it that way but that that is just as good if not better and a better an explanation yeah, I, I think, think I, I, I think, but Go I think Linda, I think Linda, you hit it. I, I think you know it's it could have been good for Apple. It could have been good for India, but as it is, you know, nobody's going to get the benefits of of possibly doing that. I I did hear someplace that there was a concerted effort on the part of the competition to keep Apple from being able to do this. That the, it was lobbying effort. So uh, if that's the case, then then I think Bart, you're right on about what's happening here. And um, I think it's unfortunate. And I, I also hold out the hope that at some point it'll be overturned, although I may be – because Apple's really good at appealing things over time. So yeah, chip we'll, we'll away see. at them. So I guess if they get the victory of having their own stores, that in itself is a big deal for Apple because at the moment 
only someone who sources 30% of their stuff in India can open a store in India. So Apple stuff can't be sold directly in India at the moment. They basically need someone in India to open a shop, buy Apple stuff, and then sell Apple stuff. So if this exemption that it looks like they're going to get actually gets as far as having the I's crossed and the T's dotted, no, wait, sorry, the I's dotted and the T's crossed, that's a big step for Apple. And if they get their brand in there, if they get their recognition in there, if they start to develop a following, then you imagine they'd have a stronger case because you'll have public opinion siding, saying, no, we want cheaper iPhones. You, Mr. My Representative in Parliament, get on this. Uh, you know, So they do have right. a chance to break it down, but if they can just get any sort of in, that helps them an awful lot. And something I didn't put in the show notes, but in hindsight I possibly should have, is that India hasn't had an LTE network, but it, it's now coming online. So India is now ripe for a smartphone now that they have the infrastructure, or the, the infrastructure that really helps those devices to sing is, is being built up right now. It's, it's coming on stream now. Yeah. Um, the Chinese, on the Chinese story, I don't know what... Um, I. This is a perhaps a, a, a paranoid rambling, but I can't help but note that given the amount of um, interference, if you will, that the FBI and some parts of the American government seem to be seem to be offering to Apple, uh, that maybe China decided, oh, we should do that too, and get you know get in Apple's way. Let's all join together and pick on Apple. Uh, but that's a paranoid rambling, probably. Yeah, I have found it very difficult to make sense of this particular ban. And the most coherent theory I've heard is that this is a bureaucrat who likes power just exercising it because he can, because in the Communist Party, you can do that. And so it, what, what strikes me is just the capriciousness of the of governments in these BRIC countries. It It's not like... We've been told for years that, oh, it's a, yeah, I mean, the future of all the tech companies is in these brick countries. It's a sure gone thing. And I'm thinking, no, these are very capricious governments. There's nothing sure about this whatsoever. Apple could be turfed out of China tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't trust those Western governments. You just can't. <laughs> but no, it, it, there is a certain capriciousness, particularly in China, with, with a one party system. It yeah. is particularly capricious, and they particularly don't care what people think. That's true. That's true. They they probably do care about keeping keeping Apple there in terms of the amount of business that they give Foxconn, though. I mean, the amount they, they want the economic benefit of having Apple in the country, so that helps. It does help, actually. That does strengthen Apple's hand. And I guess if Apple were to open a few factories in, or employ a few Indian companies to make stuff for them, that could help Apple's case there too. I don't know how practical that is, but I guess if they could do that, that would help. I'm sure it would. So, Carl Icahn. <laughs> Carl Icahn, from the get-go, was a bad news, good news story. And he's still a bad news, good news story, or good news, bad news story, depending on how you want to look at it. His normal modus operandi is that he goes into companies and buys a lot of stock and then uses that as leverage, the amount, the percentage of stock that mm -hmm. he has, to get board members on, and then he moves the company in the direction he sees fit. Um, at the beginning, when I heard, when he first bought the stock, my alarm bells went off. Mm. Um, however, Apple is so big that being able to do that with Apple would be incredibly difficult. Um, I, I, you know, 
he hasn't spoken to me directly. I have no inside information <laughs> here by stretch. But I, I, I had this wondering again in my mind if he hasn't decided, well, two things, three things. He could have found other investments that are more to his liking and more mm-hmm. to his standard modus operandi. And so he pulled the money out of Apple to use it in another place. Um, he also could have decided that Apple just isn't going up quickly enough to suit him, that the rest of the market didn't follow his lead in terms of buying the stock. Um, and and he could have decided that, yes, there is no, or could have decided that there is no way he would ever get enough leverage, partially based on, um, I, I always attend the shareholders meetings, and the amount of support that Apple management gets is greater than what management gets in other uh, companies. I, you know, right. I know that for a fact. So he may have decided there's no way he would ever get enough leverage to actually influence the company's direction. Well, so I'm, I'm as an investor, I'm just as happy that he sold the stock, even though it made the stock down. Uh, yeah, I always thought he was bad news. But I had no particular basis for that, other than I don't like the idea of someone coming in, buying stock, and simply thinking they can tell Apple what to do, as if somehow they know better what Apple should be doing than Apple. Yeah. Doesn't say well. And it's, it- yeah. Yeah, and and we're all, again, you know, we we all have to take a look in the mirror and recognize our feelings about Apple go beyond just it being a, a corporate entity. Mm-hmm. But I, I I've never cared for icons, the the way he comes in, and you know, not only when does he sometimes try to take the company in a particular direction, he also enjoys breaking companies up, and Apple's too big to be broken up at least at this stage and certainly with it with it being as healthy as it is and the management having the support it does but anytime you start introducing some of those doubts or that kind of thinking I think it takes takes everybody's eye off the ball and right now there Apple Apple needs to get their eye on and and keep their eye on a whole lot of balls I mean they've got a lot of stuff in the air and it it, it, it I saw him as just a distraction and I'm I too I'm glad that he's out of the picture at least for the moment yeah well said Chuck it's yeah absolutely right on I also like when he was writing his open his open letters to Tim Cook I was also struck by the fact that I disagreed with pretty much everything the man said <laughs> None of it. See, I'm sure it was perfectly sound advice to a company that does things by the rules. But if the, there's one defining feature of Apple is that they play by their own rules, and every time an analyst says what Apple need to do is blah 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 blah, that you know, like every other tech company does, you're going, no, you don't get it. You know, by choosing to sell the whole widget instead of by choosing to play the commoditization game, Apple are playing a different game. There's different rules. The reason Apple are the most successful tech company on the planet is not because they're doing what everyone else does. It's because they're doing something else. Yeah. For, for what it's worth, Bart, no analyst that I'm aware of says that anymore. In fact, I've heard a number of the industry analysts who come out and say that Apple has a huge advantage because the product is more integrated. That's so. a relief to hear. And, and now... I haven't been listening to what my good friend Rob Enderley says for a long time, so maybe that's why I haven't heard stupidity in a while. Well, that's, yeah, that's an exceptional uh, industry Case. analyst, not one of the ones from, <laughs> that you want to listen to. Yeah. Yes, that Dell MP3 player he was pushing went so well. Damn, he took on the iPod. <laughs> okay, well, I, is this going to well, I, Barton, I think there's one other point here too, and it, and it probably is just a restatement of what you just said. But 
we often talk about how Apple plays the long game. And I guess one to, to, to bring this the whole way back around to what we started with, that's something that also annoys me because everybody in the, the current financial system in the U.S. And, and, and elsewhere is so focused on the next quarter. You know they can't see beyond the next quarter, and I, I think Apple, Apple does play its own game. It plays a long game, and Linda, you're right. There's some analysts that seem to get that, but when I listen to Ken Ray's analysis every morning about who said what, I still think there are a lot of them that don't get it, and you know that there's still too many people following that around. Uh, there might be a slight selection effect there, though, because I, I think Ken chooses stories that sound good on radio. I mean, he also says when analysts say nice things, but I don't think he gives average analysts. You tend to hear the guys who get it and the guys who really don't, but you don't tend to hear other people. And, and, that's, and that's probably a very fair point. But at the same time, I think just as across across the board, I see it not just in, in, in Apple's case, but I see it in other industries that, you know, what, what are we going to do? What, what are you going to do to fix this next quarter? You know, not what are you going to do to fix it next year? What are you going to do to fix it next quarter? And if you can't fix it next quarter, we'll find somebody who can. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I'm in the education sector, so we work on five-year plans. And sometimes five-year plans are a little constraining. So I can't imagine working on a three-month plan and being able to do anything strategic. I mean, it, it astonishes me that it works to work on such short timescales. Now, I'm not sure it does work. That's kind of the point. Well, yeah, the, 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 sorry, Linda. No, you, well, okay. The, the two things. Um, one, I think Bart, your point is right on about the uh, Ken Ray and 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 what he chooses. And I listen to him too. I listen to that very very closely. Um, another point about that. Well, first of all, Chuck, I agree with you 100% that quarter-to-quarter stuff is crazy, but that's the dog on the leash to me. That's the dog on the leash, and it's the it's the going, it's the owner that's headed in a particular direction that you want to watch. And then the, the third point is if you look at actual data, there's a couple uh, – MarketWatch has a, a page that takes all the analysts and their views and takes them uh, – it doesn't – list them out name by name, but it gives you a whole picture of each of a company and how the analysts are saying, are they saying buy or sell on average price targets and that kind of thing. And the analysts, the sell side analysts on Apple have been positive for the past several years. And it's really interesting to me that the market does not seem to have followed that advice. I mean, when you look at the whole, so that's, that's kind of, that's what is part of what I you know I keep wondering in in my the back of my mind why is this company so undervalued I don't think it's the fault of analysts when they're clearly saying buy and they've got a price target of anywhere from 135 to 185 that it doesn't make sense and we're sitting at 93 bucks a share so enough said interesting okay mm-hmm. any final thoughts on Actually, this is technically about China and India, uh, but poor Carl Sorry. yet again uh, dictated the conversation. Okay, so the last major story I have in the show notes for this month is one that cropped up just today, actually, just before you we went to record. And Time Magazine have released not their list of the person of the year, their list of the top 50 most influential gadgets of all time, which implies to me that they think technology stops today and that they have some sort of time machine. But leaving that aside, this top 50 list includes, you know, all the cool things you would expect it to include, like the Walkman and the Trinitron television and all these kind of things. But it also contains a number of Apple products. 
quite a number of Apple products for a top 50 list. In fact, 10% of the list is Apple products, if I can count. 5 out of 50, that is 10%. So, working backwards, the iBook comes in and position 38 of 50. The iPad makes it to 25. The iPod makes it to 9. The Macintosh makes it to 3. And the iPhone is the most influential gadget of all time, according to Time. I think that's bloody impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. For one company to come up with that many things that influence, I mean, obviously you can argue this list or argue positions, but. Yeah, I mean, what's the difference between two and five on the list? But I don't think you can argue that any of those products don't belong on such a list. No, agreed. Yeah, Yeah, agreed. And I, I think it's easy to forget, actually, particularly well, any of these products, actually, if you think about them. But, you know, the, the iPod wasn't the first MP3 player, but it's what made MP3 players into a massive major thing. And the iPad wasn't the first tablet, but it was the first tablet that took off. And the iBook wasn't the first laptop, but it fairly changed the concept of laptops. And the Macintosh wasn't the first computer, but it fairly changed the concept of computers. And the iPhone was definitely not the first smartphone, but... You can actually see, like, from some of the court papers in the various um, Apple v. Samsung court cases, you see these timelines of what the phones looked like before the iPhone and then what they look like after the iPhone. And what they look like before the iPhone is the BlackBerry, and after the iPhone, they look like the iPhone. So that is an amazing legacy for one company to have done all of that. Yes. Yes, just, absolutely. It just occurs to me, this is a terrible topic for discussion, because there's no one on this call who's going to say, no, Bart, you're full of poop. <laughs> <laughs> well, the question the question becomes: In another few years, will the Apple Watch be on there? Ooh! Hmm. Ooh! Wow! Hmm. Silence. Fifty-fifty <laughs> on that one. Hang on, I have a coin. Harp says yes, okay. <laughs> and the coin fell off the table. I don't know. <laughs> I. I- say yes i think that i the i watch the apple watch has been really underrated and bart the one of the smartest comments i've heard about the apple watch was your comment about the, it that it being the inverse of a number of different paper cuts all the tiny little pieces that come together in here and that cumulative factor and make it for me a very very valuable item i, I will be lost without mine like it, it's i didn't I haven't worn a watch for a decade. I sort of thought, well, I need a fitness tracker. May as well get a watch too. I adore this thing and I would be completely lost without it. And I didn't expect that to happen. And I'm an, you know, I'm an Apple fan. May, but uh, I'm not... uh, Sorry, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think I come down on the other side. I don't think it will be. Um, I just don't think it'll, it'll have the... Thinking of it as an influential gadget... I don't think a, phone, a watch is ever going to be that in that position. We'll see. But I might be completely wrong. Half man. I see. The thing it does, the, an always with you, always available device that you, you don't have to go footing around in your pocket for it, that's a concept that's going to last. Is it going to stay on the wrist? Is it going to migrate to our face? I don't know. Wow. That's, I, I guess I, this is something I've said before. The, the iPhone, of course, it was a phone, but now it's so much more. We still refer to it as an iPhone, mm. but there's how many studies out there that say that hardly people 
hardly use it as an iPhone, or at least as such a small, or excuse me, as a phone, such a small percentage of the time. And I think the watch is the same way. You had to almost call it a, a, a watch because that's one, going to be one of its primary functions, and it's also the most relatable function at this point. Yeah. But it does. I'm, I'm with you, Bart. It does so much more, and so I, I think it is helping define wearables because up till now, wearables. I mean, I guess you could have considered a Bluetooth earpiece a wearable. Yeah. Google Glass was obviously a wearable, but that didn't go down so well. Like, what's going to stay with us is this concept of some sort of subtle ability to, for technology to communicate with you so that no one else <coughs> in the room knows it's happening. That is one of the best things about the Apple Watch, that it can so subtly interact with you. The always there, the never having to think about it thing, that's definitely going to be there. You know, being able to just say, hola, Siri... And just have it do stuff. I, those features are going to stay there, but I don't know if the device is going to stay strapped to our wrist or if it's going to go somewhere else. What it does, I know is going to stay, but how it does it, I'm not sure. Well, where were, I'm curious, where else would you put it? I don't know. <laughs> this is the problem. I, I don't know. Maybe it stays on the wrist. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe pocket watches become a thing again. I don't know. It's. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how many more ways I can I say st- that. I still think there's some mileage in, in, in glasses. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't – somehow they've got to find a way of projecting it in such a way that it doesn't look like a big lump on the side of your glasses. If they can have something that actually looks like a pair of glasses but actually does something similar to what Google Glass did, then I think that would sell well. I think the reason it didn't, in all honesty, was that the – Someone really, really clever needs to find a way of actually just projecting it onto the lens I without it, having a great big thing strapped to the side of it. I think what killed Google Glass is the camera. It freaked people out. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. yeah. That's agreed. Probably, yeah, that's probably true. Just, actually, just to go back to the iPhone. Um, so, you know, we, we said here that, you know, it's called an iPhone, but it isn't an iPhone. And it's interesting you say that because time in explaining the reasoning start with, Apple was the first company to put a truly powerful computer in the pocket of millions. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And and up to that point, you wouldn't have known what to do with a computer in your pocket. Well, that's certainly true of the average you. I, on the other hand, was lusting <laughs> after a Nokia uh, communicator, the little Nokia bricks that fold open in half and had the screen and a little keyboard in them. I was lusting after one of those. I wanted a computer in my pocket. I didn't realize that what I actually wanted was a nice shiny slab of glass, and I'm really, really happy I never had enough money to buy a Nokia communicator. But I sure as hell love my iPhone. Yeah, well, and and okay, I will withdraw that comment because I I was in the same same boat, Bart. I mean, I've I've played with a whole lot of the little things that would fold open, and you know, um, I'll be a quarter of the size of like an Apple Bluetooth keyboard. Mm. That you know, you were 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 computers to some degree, but they weren't used. They they were useful if you really pushed it, but they were useful only to to the geeks of the world and the people who really tried to push it. And that I think is the power of the iPhone. And then all of a sudden, it started to do so many other things because they included GPS and accelerometers and all, all kind of other things. And all of a sudden, wow, you've you've got this incredible device. I think actually the real magic is connectivity. That's why the Newton was a flop. It's because it it was trapped. It couldn't reach out into the environment because there just wasn't a concept of that kind of 
ubiquitous wireless networking. That was just, that was science fiction in the time of the Newton. And that's, that's what made the iPhone possible, in my opinion, is that connectivity everywhere. Yeah, the timing was really perfect for the phone. And, and in some ways, it wasn't the phone that was the influential thing. It was the, it was the way you interact with it that was the real, the real killer, the, the thing that really changed everything. Yeah, instead of trying to scale a keyboard down into something you could fit in your pocket, which was always a horrible compromise, they just went, yeah, let's use your big stubby fingers. Let's design it around those. Yeah, and it didn't hurt at all that we had all become very, very used to carrying iPods of one description or another at mm. that point. Even if, you had a, even if you had a cell phone or a small cell phone at that time, you still were probably carrying an iPod. I was, yeah. 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 Okay, uh, before we wrap up the show, just a few quick stories that are worth mentioning rather than dwelling on. Um, sad news that former Apple exec and board member Bill the Coach Campbell passed away. Apple paid tribute to him on their homepage and actually delayed their earnings call by a day so that Apple execs could attend his memorial service. Uh, Tim Cook has joined the board of Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights, which is a terribly difficult name to say. Uh, but they've renamed their organization to be Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights instead of the Robert F. Kennedy Organization, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Tim Cook is now one of Time's 100 Most Influential People. Again, he's been named that a few times. Uh, CareKit has made its debut with four apps. Uh, no sign of it on Apple's open source page, though, even though they have promised that it's coming. It was not there when I checked yesterday. And Apple's support site got a complete makeover. And then the most important thing is a note for all of user diary next month. June 13 to 17 is WWDC. So one assumes there will be a keynote on June 13th. Mm. Okay, panel, thank you very much for your time, as always, and for your fun contributions. Um, in... No particular order, because I can't remember what order I introduce people in. Um, Chuck, would you like to tell people where you can be found on the internet and where they can hear and watch more of your stuff? Sure. Uh, the best place, obviously, is Mac Voices at macvoices.com. Uh, come over and see what all's going on there. And if you want to get in touch with me and tell me how much you disagree with me, please do so on Twitter at Chuck at Mac – or, uh, yeah, excuse me, Chuck Joyner. Excellent. Uh, Nick, do you want to give the listeners any links? Um, only my Twitter handle, which is Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. And Linda, do you have any links to give out to the listeners or Twitters or whatever? I will I will just mention that I am um, part of the leadership of Silicon Valley Mac user, user group. And uh, so people that might possibly be local to Silicon Valley, uh, SV mug.org is our URL and then my Twitter handle LLG the number 4 C like cat D like dog and G again like girl excellent that's me excellent okay um, as I mentioned a few times there are detailed show notes which will be available shortly after the show goes live over at let's-talk.ie while you're over there enjoying those lovely show notes, you will see three large blue buttons under a heading, Support the Show. Firstly, I very much appreciate all those of you who have made use of those three buttons over the last years, now that we've been around for a few years. And secondly, if you haven't or are feeling guilty about not having done so recently, 
do please click on any one of the three buttons. Um, I want to give an extra special shout out to the uh, Patreon supporters because, you know, I really appreciate the PayPal donations and they help a lot, but they tend to be bursty. It's, it's very hard to pay a monthly bill from PayPal donations because some months no one clicks the PayPal button and then some months five people pick the, click the PayPal button. Whereas the Patreon people, it's a small amount. It's just, you know, most people give a dollar a show or 50 cent a show or maybe two dollars a show, but no one gives big amounts. But because it's regular, it actually makes it possible to have, you know, an income to match the outgoings on a reliable basis. And it saves me from an awful lot of stress, which is why it's so very much appreciated. And, uh, you know, anyone else, if if you're not in a position to click on, you know, the PayPal button or the Patreon button, that's no problem at all. You know, tell your friends about the show or just go to iTunes, leave a nice review and maybe click on the five stars button. That would equally be very valuable. So, again, thank you to everyone who does support the show. Without you guys, it simply would not exist. Show notes at less-talk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchats, and you can find me at bartb.ie. Until next time, happy computing. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello and good evening. This is Gads for the MyMac Podcast. And we know you have your pick of high quality downloadable audio content, and we appreciate that you choose ours. Quite right, Old Bean. This is Guy, and we're here to say that the MyMac Podcast is the right choice to make intelligent, cultured, and downloaded by only the finest and most educated people. Indeed. In fact, we restrict our delightful missives to only those best suited... Sky, I can't go on with this. Who are we kidding? The MyMac Podcast is probably one of the most accessible shows about OS X and iOS there is. Gaz, we're trying to up our reputation here. Oh, shut it. Listen, folks, tired of tech podcasts that talk over your head and go on too long, taking themselves so seriously, you'd think they were the ones making the product? Then you should listen to the MyMac.com podcast. At least three good chuckles per segment. If my math is right, that's about ten laughs per show. Right. Because three times three is ten. Sometimes... I really wonder about you, Guy. No need to wonder where to find the podcast. Just go to iTunes and search for MyMac. Subscribe and jump into the fun. You know, we're part of the Stoplight Network, and there are a lot of important people there. Well, we did say we hardly know anyone important. Though there was that time I was less than 30 feet away from the Waz, and I could have sworn we made eye contact. Most likely, he was having stomach cramps. That would explain why he was doubled over at the time. Check out the Stoplight Network and the MyMac.com podcast. Enjoy it. Over a copper.